Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today on the show, we have a great man, Aaron Hickman, CEO of the lighting sensation company, Velo. A serial entrepreneur, Aaron started his first business at 15 years old while still at high school, and he's since established, sold, and grown ventures within the technology sector. Passionate about collaboration, innovation, and returning manufacturing to Australia, he is demonstrating that it can be achieved through the adoption of advanced technology to achieve the most comparative products while exceeding high-quality standards. With over 10 years of experience in the lighting industry, Aaron has forged relationships with best-of-breed entrepreneurs and innovators across the globe, from Silicon Valley to Germany to Japan. His renewed focus is working on R&D projects which reimagine lighting technology of our future. In 2021, in daily 40 under 40 for South Australia, Aaron was awarded the state's top young entrepreneur award for his development of his LED lighting systems. Valo's technology has pushed into fields spanning sport, transport and defence. And over the past decade, you may have seen their LED lighting light up spaces across South Australia, such as the Titanium Security Arena and the Light, Art and Technology Winter Festival here in South Australia, Illuminate Adelaide. On top of all this, you may have seen Velo's name and signage pretty much on all the sporting clubs in Australia, or so it seems, as they're sponsoring so many amazing sport clubs, such as Hawthorne Football Club, Adelaide Crows Football Club, SA Sport, Adelaide United, Sport New South Wales, Vic Sport, Baseball Australia, Adelaide Giants and Football SA. On today's show, Aaron and I deep dived into his journey on founding Velo, expanding in South Australia and bringing manufacturing back onshore. Aaron shares with us about having production move back onshore helps to increase employment in South Australia and provide economic benefits for the state. He also shares with us the ambitions and purpose of Valo, focused on constantly researching and developing smart lighting products, which will improve sustainability, reduce carbon footprint, and provide significant benefits to wide-ranging communities. Aaron also talks to us about the future of Valo and where they're going, and it's a very exciting future. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Aaron, and I know you're absolutely going to love this chat. And if you'd like to check out his profile, you can find it at Aaron Hickman on LinkedIn, and definitely check out the company page, Velo at velo.com.au. Feel free to connect with me too, where you can find me at Daniel Franco on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and in front of me, I have the up-and-coming superstar, Aaron Hickman, on the show, CEO of Valo. Thank you for coming on, mate. Glad to be here, Daniel. Uh, you seem a little bit nervous sitting over there on the show today. You've, uh... well, that's what happens when you only get the invite this morning and you've called me in, so here I am, so I'm not sure what I'm in for. Thank you very much for coming. appreciate your time. You... Uh... 
you're doing some wonderful things. Valo is everywhere at the moment, in especially in within the world of Australia and sport in the sporting world. You're hmm. sponsoring every single uh, football team, basketball team, and uh, <laughs> that's going around the Hawthorne Football Club, Adelaide Crows, Adelaide United, um, the 36ers, and the like. Hmm. Plus, you know, soccer and all the above as well. Yeah. Um, what uh, tell us a little bit about your your story and and how you became to be on the on the shirt of every football club in <laughs> in Australia? How far back do you want to go? Let's just let's hear about your story, mate. Who who is Aaron Hickman and how did you get here? I always I start this story off by we go back to the school years, and I guess everyone going through school, you try and work out what you want to be and what you want to become, and your colleagues through school, most people sort of have a path or they're directed towards something and it's, you know, every parent's ambition is to have their kid go to university and become, you know, a lawyer, to doctor, yeah, yeah. etc. That's the traditional way. So I went through school wanting to be the guy who's catching the flights in the business lounge and doing that. Yeah. What is that? Um, always wanted to do my own thing. Uh, started my first little Little business, it's probably what you can't really classify it as a business, but it was, it was hustle, it was buying and selling things and making a profit. So you could classify that as a business. Uh, at just over 12, I was bringing in memory, PlayStation memory cards and selling them on eBay. So uh, that was only shut down when they realized I was a kid and I wasn't <laughs> 18 with a driver's license credit card. I used, used my parents' information yeah, well. to sort of. Oh, so you were shop. actually generating some pretty good revenue. Yeah, at, that's where it started. Um, worked through to. Through to um, you know other goods, uh, shirts, um, clothing. Uh, I was supplying for a little while there. Um, a famous basketballer who had a clothing store in in Maya. Yeah, we were able to bring in um, Nike products and Jordan stuff, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, legitimately, that- and 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 that was good. And that was during year twelve. So it was during that time where I wasn't the best academic student um, attendance or. Uh, result yeah by choice though right so um you know i was making five six grand a week back then and when you got your p plates you got a nice car and yeah why did why do you need to go to school and that was the attitude so where did where did the entrepreneur spirit come from as a kid like is your parents in that world or or did your uncle or auntie or someone that you picked it up from or I don't know. I, I think it would go back to my grandparents. My parents are both in dental. They've run a successful business, successful careers in dental. Yeah. They steered me away from that yeah. um, very much. So yeah. If there's any direction, it's it most definitely not to get into the dental industry. But it would have to be my opa. So my opa, he's Dutch. Yep. Um, so opa is uh, Dutch for grandfather. Grandfather. Yep. And he yeah, was in the electrical industry. So he worked for Etsa back in the day. Yeah. Um, and set up all the substations around Australia. So he came came in, uh, lived in Bondi, you know, the Dutch. You can, yeah. you can imagine, you know, super tanned, living yeah. in Sydney, rock yeah. star lifestyle, much much warmer and, and beautiful yeah. here in Australia. Yeah. Fell in love with the country, met his wife, my Oma. Um, three kids, my mum's one of them. Um, and he, he always told me about these stories about his welding business on the side. He always had a side business. Yeah. So, you know, his philosophy was talking like six weeks wages. So, you know, he could make six weeks wages or something to, to that degree selling a welder back in the day that he'd make in the shed on the weekends yeah. and that would grow into selling two and four and all the rest. And 
Um, that was his, I, I believe that's where some of the entrepreneurial spirit came from. And, but he was faced with an ultimatum, which every entrepreneur and every business man, woman mm-hmm. will be in their career. And the ultimatum was you're not seeing your family, so it's either the business or the family. Yeah. So he chose the family and stayed with his, his career at um, Electricity Trust yep. back in the day, what it was called. Um, I don't think there was any regrets, but if you look at your, your business acumen, I think that would be an, a regret. So mm. there's always been this little backer of mine. Um, don't listen to the naysayers. Yeah. Go for it. Go all in. Don't give up. So, and that sort of just developed from there. So, yeah. I'd say that's probably where it started. Yeah, from. it's pretty cool. And, and one thing I do know is that um, if you've got the support there, you know, especially from the, the parents and knowing that you can have a crack and worst case scenario, you still got a beautiful home to live in. And yeah, yeah. there's been plenty of ups and downs. Yeah. But yeah, there's always been that support. I mean, uh, biggest regret. And I, and I say it to people, my biggest regret was not achieving what I'm capable of through high school. Mm. And um, one of my home group teachers actually caught, I was in the advertiser just the other week and I got a nice message through our receptionist that <laughs> yeah. one of my school teachers actually called through to say, like, congratulations, amazing yeah. what you're doing and whatnot. So it's, it's really nice <laughs> to bump into the school yeah, teachers. That well. probably wasn't the best with Actually so, ringing through and following the, the journey now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was that moment, year 12, I think this was one of the trigger points for me as well um, when everybody's name is getting read out as you go up on stage, yeah. you know, year 12, graduation. And he says, oh, I think I think I remember who this name is. <laughs> <laughs> and you could just hear my mum gasp <laughs> in the crowd. And, of course, it's Aaron Hickman and I go up and, and I thought, yeah, I'm never going to be – like this feeling it's never going to be like this again yeah there, there will never be i will never i'll always give it your all yeah 100 percent. yeah and it's taken a long time um especially with what we're doing and what we're disrupting in the market yeah. but um it's coming to fruition and you've got to back yourself it's amazing in. though trigger point i, I have a, mm. a similar story um from a it was when i was school playing first 18 football was a vice captain had you know a lot of talent as a football player and um i'll never forget a bit like you not not that i skipped school or anything like that but more the point of just wasn't overly concentrating on the academic side but more about the people influence side and being a bit of a larrikin and I like to have a bit of a laugh and whatnot. Mm. And I, I remember in front of the, the the team, the football coach at the time said to me, like in front of the whole team, pointed his finger at me and said, you'll never amount to anything. And I, and I remember how shit that felt, man. I thought, mm. you, know, I'll, you know, I'll show you sort of thing. Yeah. I should meet up with that guy. Yeah, you should. <laughs> and I guess just wind it back, I mean – I, I did get a place in university, so I, yeah. I did it the hard way. And I think that's one of my uh, – So even like not, going to, not going to school, you still got a, got a spot? In no, your... no, I didn't. But I did the UMAT test. Ah, uh, okay. And I got into a uh, Bachelor of Science to then go into a Master of Optometry. Yeah, so that, well, that's where I thought you uh, my interests were. So my yeah. strengths were physics, English literature throughout school. Um, but the common feedback was, you know, he'd excel if he – did everything because yeah. we know he's capable. He just doesn't want to do it, and that's I guess one of the things. That's that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They yeah. don't want to be told. And I use that term loosely because yeah. I don't think I'm there yet. But yeah. 
they don't want to be told or I don't want to be told what to do. We want to work out a better way of doing yeah. it. Yeah. And that's that's successful business or not. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's it's your story about your grandfather and a side business and he was earning more uh essentially from his side business than than the actual mm. business. We've had a I don't know if you've met him, but Jindo Lee, who's uh, the CEO of Happy Co, creator and founder mm-hmm. of Happy Co, yep. um, and uh, and the Mighty Kingdom Games, he started that as yep. well. Yep. He he said the same thing. He was starting his business, uh, or he was working as a website designer and graphic designer. Started building websites on the side, and he in with one project, he earned more than what he was earning for a whole year. Yeah. Which kind of then um, s- set him aside. And the same thing with your schooling. You're all, like. People would die to earn five to six grand a week is if that's what you were saying you were bringing in at that age. Yeah, you, I won't you, say some of the comments that I mentioned to principal and teachers yeah, at the time. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd hit my, my clip my kid <laughs> yeah. around the ear. But, <laughs> but I guess what my old man realized was there's a business acumen there, right? So mm. if you can take that and apply it to a upcoming business or an yeah. industry, um, yeah, you've got the gift of, of the gab, I yeah. guess, in, in that sense. Yeah, the ability to to drive and uh, mm. keep keep going, mm. give up. That's what started. The if your friends were looking back at you now, like if, if looking back, yeah. your friends at school, would they? Sorry, we're at school. Yep, you're in year twelve. Looking forward, would you be on on the list of people? Who would be a successful CEO within a business? <laughs> I don't know who started there. No, I highly doubt it. Yeah, yeah. What would have? What would everyone be thinking right now? I don't think you really know where you're going in year twelve. And yeah. There's this huge expectation people do, but the realist, you know, realistically, you don't. Um, a lot of my friends wasn't necessarily at the same school. Uh, went to uni, uh, completed degrees, and they're not usually utilizing that degree yeah. in the profession doing something completely different. Yeah. Um, and we've we've bumped into each other, and as you do, and all the rest. And what are you up to? And they say, "Man, we're watching you." Yeah. It's like it's crazy, and it's like, well, it started back then. Yeah, it's it's, but we're not we're not taught these ways. Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost it's not so much taboo, but it's not really promoted mm. to go and just do your own thing. Yeah, to this degree. So, um, who knows what they were thinking back then? Probably thinking wasn't gonna. Do too much or yeah. or whatnot, but uh, get into cars because obviously it was loved cars back then. Yeah. But um, still do. Not sure. Well, kudos. So talk to us about obviously those early years, and then you started. I know a little bit of background given our conversations previously, but your you started man lighting at some point as well. Was there anything in there around that? Yeah. So I guess. So you come out of year 12, you don't really want to jump into study. You know, a lot of people have a gap year or whatever. So yep. um, I was working a couple of jobs back in the day. It was the beach house and Blockbuster. So <laughs> they're the most important things, I guess, yeah. when that, you know, you had videos next door to Pizza Shop and next door to that was Dan Murphy. So, you know, we had a sweet setup yep. back then. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you got to sort of wake up yeah. um, and you get a bit of a kick up the bum from the parents saying, what are you doing? And Obviously got the offer from university, really didn't want to do it. And I guess you have those real conversations, those hard conversations. It's like, well, you didn't commit during school, right, because you don't want to follow the curriculum. So how all of a sudden now that's going to change mm. through a university degree and get a 
distinction average to get into mass optometry. So that was the honest chat. And I said, well, I'm probably not going to achieve that, so it's pointless. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be able to get through and I'll do it my way and I'll, I'll achieve. But you still need that result to get into the next course. Correct. So I think that was the realistic uh, conversation I had with family back then. Uh, so I thought I'll get into real estate, you know, like talking, bit of hustle, all the rest of it. But um, I started uh, my real estate uh, courses, property management, then going into sales and then talking through having job interviews. Can't count how many job interviews I, I've had over the years where I was where I didn't succeed. No 17-year-old, no, no, no one wants a 17-year-old kid, mm. 18-year-old kid selling their house. That's just realistic. And I was told that. They said, you've got the attitude and, the, you know, the motivation and the drive, but yeah. you're 10 years too young yeah. type thing yeah. before someone right will give you a, you yeah. know, their listing. You can shadow someone but you're not. Yeah, and I said, well, you know, I'm not going to. I want to be there now. So I don't want to have to, you know, do property management or anything like that. So my interest wasn't there. Um so I ended up getting my first full-time job um, at Australia's largest lighting retailer, um, Beacon Lighting. Beacon Lighting. Yeah. So shout out. Um, they did give me some staff discount recently, <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, I was one of two males employed in South Australia. Yeah. My first paycheck was $24,000 a year. Um, I probably worked harder than anyone else there because I was the young guy. So it was a very it was a female-dominated industry because of the interior design aspect. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I was fortunate to Bev, if she's listening, uh, for hiring me against probably some of the other recommendations. Yeah. Were you front of store, back of store, what was the role? I was everything. So, yeah, yeah Just, sales. Yeah. Um, but also I had to help out doing all the lifting yeah. as, as you do, yeah. young, young guy does. And, and that taught me a lot about retail, merchandising and all of those really critical things, uh, systems. You know, this, yeah. this company was – Virtually bankrupt back through late 80s, 90s. They rebranded. Um, they're now on the stock exchange. When I started, I think it was about 40, um, 40 locations. Mm. And they just went through a bit of a growth. Uh, I think now they're about 150 yeah. or something. They're Crazy. Everywhere. They're everywhere. Um, beautiful we were, beautiful um, product too. Debatable. <laughs> we were number for, for the layman person like myself. You're in, no, no, you're in the lighting we've got world. Some, no, we've got some of their product. Yeah. Yeah. So... We were, we were the number one store at Mile End, so mm-hmm. shout out to Mile End um, in Australia. So we used to sell $60,000 worth of fans and lights in a weekend. Yeah, wow. Which, which is a lot of product, right? Yeah. Um, and this is when I met a really great guy called Nick Leiters. He's a lawyer. I believe he's in Sydney. We've bumped into each other over the years and I remember him saying to me, like, oh, why do you want to go to uni? And I said, so he was at Beacon? Yeah, he was a casual. Yeah. Okay. Doing his degree. So Nick Lightus. Lightus, yeah. At, at a lighting store. Correct. Very good. And it's, um, it's, these are the omens that we yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, so yeah, he, he was casual. So we'd work Thursdays and weekends and have a good time yeah, when we were working together. And he said, you know, if you don't go through uni, you can always start a lighting business. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Like, yeah, you know, that's, that's not very cool or whatever. And he goes, look at how much money this company makes. It's one store. Because mm. there's there's money in this industry and the cut you know it's revolving door every weekend it's the same it's like that's yeah, actually quite interesting so going back to my I guess my strength strengths if there was one during school being physics and whatnot um, lighting is physics so I was very interested in the scientific aspect of it not so much the crystal chandelier yep. aspect of beacon 
So I was tasked with always changing the light bulbs, one of my amazing morning <laughs> tasks. And there's a lot in a lighting store <laughs> every day. Yeah. And that <laughs> and was before the LED. That would have been before LEDs. Yeah, fluoros were coming out, but there was a big, ugly, twirly, <laughs> twirly things, but you don't really see them any, yeah. anymore. Yeah. And naturally, when you're having to change these things over and over, you think, man, this is incredibly waste of time. Mm. It's using a lot of power. So you're throwing them in the bin. Yeah. And the cost, because you'd have to enter them in and write them, write them off, manage yeah, to sign wow. off. Hundreds, hundreds of dollars a day, yeah. and just light bulbs to power this store. And we had some really crappy LED bulbs. Um, they were like the little little dot diodes you see, like in the seventies and eighties, that you probably played with, um, you know, during school in tech class. You know, you yeah. weld an LED to a circuit, and power yeah. it up with a battery. Yeah, those ones in, in this little tiny directional spotlight. And at Beacon, we sold them at the time for pond lights because they ran quite cool. You yeah. stick them in the pond light and it just lasted forever. Yeah. And I thought, well, why isn't this technology being applied to everything? Like why is it just in this least popular product but it's the best longevity? Why are we putting in the worst product? Yeah. Why isn't it going into the everyday product? So going back to my hustle ways, I started sourcing product from around the world and I started importing and dabbling and trying to learn more about the technology. Um, at the time, it was uh, some product assembled in South Africa of all places, quite high-end, mm. uh, very expensive. If you looked at it today, it'd be pretty shocking in terms of performance mm. and quality. Yeah. Um, but there were little strips that you could utilize under uh, overheads for a kitchen bench yeah. and a replacement light bulb. What year was this? Whew, it'd have to be, I don't know, 2011, yeah, so like, 2010, something had, like that, really early. Yeah. Yeah. So you like eBay is where you were looking mainly? Like, no, no, Where no. did you get the nows to go online and just start searching? It was just... Well, I always started – I found my – we didn't have Alibaba back then. Yeah. It was like global sources and yeah, all this okay. type of stuff and you had to present yourself as a company. So I used my dad's ABN and whatever to, yeah. to make up this – I'm a big company that yeah. imports product. <laughs> And <laughs> then you sort of get through some of the filters, whether people would respond or not. And you know, that's how I dealt with those mem PlayStation yeah. memory cards yeah. back in the day. So I ended up working with these factories that were starting to produce these bespoke LED bulbs. I mean, at the time, a three-watt light bulb was around $60 US. Yeah. Like it was – that actually had it's some type so of line output. So uh, that that was the angle. Um, Skype, you know, we didn't have WhatsApp, WeChat. Yeah. Any social media. It yeah. Was, it was Skype Sorry. and yeah, old school, you know, mail.com or hotmail mm. as your email address. Now it's Gmail. So that started um, those. Now, being young, I accidentally got a shipment sent to Beacon Lighting. Wow. Uh, managers found out. Conflict of interest. Yeah, well, was, what are you doing? And I said, okay. well, hey, there's, the, there's a real future in this technology. Look at what it can do. Like this is a, this is on the market around there now. So why why aren't we looking at this? And they said it's never going to happen. LEDs will never be the light <laughs> source. We sell halogen downlights. You with us or against us? And I said, I'm against it. See you later. And wow. that was it. So I left there. Um, worked for a a bespoke lighting company in Kent Town. Um, the benefit working with them, they allowed me to set up my first LED company. It was selling strip lighting. Mm -hmm. um, company was called Infinity at the time mm -hmm. um, with a very space theme and whatnot, which I thought was pretty cool. And back then we were selling LED strip for $150 a meter for yeah. 10 watts. Yeah, wow. And I met 
who became my. They've f- come down a lot since then. It's ten dollars. Yeah, ten bucks a meter now. Yeah, or something like that. twenty bucks a meter for good yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. You buy them at Bunnings off the shelf now, can't you? Yeah, but you don't buy from Bunnings, no. Daniel. No, <laughs> no. Well, I'm saying you can, but if you want the good stuff, yeah. go to Aaron. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Forty Seven King William Street. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were doing bespoke homes. So, you know, mm-hmm. $150, $200 a, a meter for that. Only kitchen bench for these luxury homes was, was palatable, I guess, yeah. for clients. And, you know, the cost was significant. Margin was actually quite low on at that uh, rate at the time. Um, I met a guy called Gianni Francisco uh, who was a casual employee there. And um, he was studying to be an architect but had a skill set um, – on SolidWorks, which is a, like an industrial design software, so mm-hmm. 3D modeling, similar to CAD, but yeah. also around prototyping product. Uh, so we started designing what would become Australia's most efficient and longest warranty product, um, our Neo LED downlight, mm-hmm. which I'm still proud of today. Yeah, They're right. still running in homes today. Um, it was a 12-watt downlight. So how did, where, like, where did the knowledge come from from the design point of view? You said he's an architect, but that's He's not, an architect. Not an electric. Attrition or anything? Like no, but I'm in. I'm in lighting. So, you so the at the time we were working it. with with the leading builders. Okay. Metricon, Rivergum, um, supplying them. You know, 100 downlights per home because yeah. that was the Australian trend. Uh, with a halogen downlight, yeah. 150 watts each. You put 100 in your home. How, how did you get those contracts? Just went and knocked them. So that was through. No, that was through the bespoke lighting company. Okay. But then. I wanted oh, I to invest time okay, with yeah. my little side business in developing the product. Yeah. Supplied them the product. At a okay, discount market leading price, yeah. Um, they could make a, a significant margin. There was a cost saving for the builder. Everybody's happy. So, at the time, we're selling retail on the on the downlights were one hundred twenty nine ninety five for a ten watt downlight. Now, you know, similar quality downlight that if we were to bring it in today, we'd, we'd probably retail at twenty nine ninety five. Okay, so the technology's come a long way. <clears throat> yeah, it has. And cost come down. Yeah, yeah massive. Um, that's where we started. So. I guess the year rolled on, imports started to become more prevalent in the market. Uh, the price war started in the LED industry. A lot yep. of uh, cheap Southeast Asian product started to come into the market. So our, our retail price had to drop to compete with that, even yep. though our base cost was the same. US dollar, I started, I think, started to, to get affected around that time as well. Yep. So we started to lose a little bit of margin on the foreign exchange. So were you one of the original leaders of bringing in LEDs within Australia? Do you know if there was any other big mobs looking at it as no, well? No, all the big lighting companies were looking at it. I think I think we're probably first to market with the with the efficient specified product that we had, mm-hmm. um, but we did not move quick enough. Okay, to become market leader and penetration, we also just didn't have the backing. Yeah, we're dealing with you know companies worth two hundred fifty, three hundred million. Here, yeah, you know, family generational businesses that are sold to institutional uh, corporates, yeah, um, you know, they've got the big checkbook. So, yeah, you know, we focused on little old Adelaide and we chipped away and we we built good relationships with with the downlight product, I guess. Um, but you get to a point where you're just fighting on price, yeah, and you're not enjoying what you're doing. And I guess if you fast forward to what we're doing now, one of my underpinning rules is we have to have fun doing what we're doing otherwise you don't want to do it Mm. so if we go back to then you know you work with a client you design the house you light it up you don't see them again Mm. that's that's how it is and then you go into the next one so it's very repetitive i went to a 36s game 
at A36's arena. Uh, this is when they didn't have broadcast, mm-hmm. I think. They hadn't, though Kesterman hadn't entered, hadn't taken over, no Foxtel deal yet. Went to a game. I hadn't been to a game for years. Yeah. Thought a bit random. Took my wife's cousins and um, being in lighting, I'm staring at the lights for half the, half the games thinking, man, this, this is old school. This is really bad. Yeah. Uniformity on the court wasn't very good. They're, they're buzzing because the old 20, 30-year-old ballasts of the lights and I can hear it. No one else notices. I'm the idiot looking up at the, at the ceiling. Um, and I thought, you know, we could we could change this to LED. I'm sure we could develop something that could change this. But we're talking a completely different world now. You know, from a 10-watt LED, we're talking in the hundreds yep. of watts, high power. Um, reached out, met with the CEO, met with the club, went through a process. Uh, basically, it was a, re- a return on investment for them would save them net $6,500 a month. So it was cash flow positive if they financed it. Um, we did the deal. I guess that was the start of doing sponsorship. Yeah. Um, it was the first basketball court in Australia to go full LED, FIBA level one standards. How, how does that contract come about though? Without a product, without a, you know, a big backing, big corporation, where does that come from? It came from vision of the end game. Yeah. Going in, being able to promise to deliver on the outcome. And then we had to backtrack working out how we we're going to do it. Yeah. We knew from a product technology perspective, we had the technology. It was a very bespoke product, very heavy in terms of a, a luminaire today, yeah. today's standards, especially to what we've developed now, yeah. made here. Um, but we had the, the Japanese LED technology where the engineers working with us, because it's been several years now working with them yeah. in all of our other core products. So we knew we had the team on the, at the engineering side. So we put it together. Um, there hasn't been one court light. Fail, mm-hmm. through it, and that was 2015, 2014. Yeah, wow. Um, so they're still going strong. Yeah. Yep, still going. That's a titanium stadium. Yeah, well, it's just called Adelaide 36 Arena now. Yeah, it was titanium yeah. for a bit, yeah. <coughs> um, so we completely pulled away from the residential market. That was, that was our lightning bolt, our uh, light bulb moment. Yeah. Right? Um, no pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what, what happened from there? You, you've, you've designed this light that can sit in the stadium obviously you know dollar signs are in your eyes and you know i could sell this to every basketball stadium in australia or whatever it might look like sporting yeah. arena in a, in australia is that yeah, i guess of- I, was, I was fortunate for the club at the time scouts owned them so i did have a mutual contact within the scouts that sort of verified me mm-hmm. um but we didn't have a website mm-hmm. we knew what we were doing we had the product but we sure we didn't have the brand so a lot of learning curves out of that after completing the project and then a little bit stagnant to actually to kick it off. We thought we're just going to roll this out and be mm. very, very simple, but it's absolutely not the case in business. Um, there was a few things, you know, learned from that. I mean, I guess the reason why we wanted to continue or I wanted to continue on with sports lighting is, is because, you know, we, we only had the lights turned on the day of the game. This was within a two-week break within the NBL season. We changed every fixture in the whole venue. Mm. The pressure was enormous and sanction fees, if the ball didn't go up, yeah, I was that was it for me. Yeah. So it's one thing you learn, you've got to go all in yeah. with a lot of these early decisions and, and throughout they become more calculated as you progress in your business career. But early on it's do or die. Yeah. Um, but seeing a game broadcast, showcased on TV 
and the crowd loving what we did. That was the hook for, mm. for me. Mm. I was like, we have to stay in sports. Like, this is awesome. People actually appreciate what, what the end result is. The club does financial aspects, renewable aspects, you know, saving power, all these things taking clubs to progress to carbon neutral. All of those things made a lot of sense back then. Um, it's, where, I guess, where we are, have landed and are continuing on today. In, uh, mm. So let's talk about Velo and the growth of and where that's come from. Yeah. So out of that lighting and the, the, the lighting, the titanium arena at the time, well, Adelaide 36's arena, Velo is born. Is that kind of what, no, what happens? I um. <laughs> That was a really tricky time for the LED lighting industry. To be mm-hmm. honest, there were huge trans- transitions throughout the time. Yeah. What people were accepting as product, a lot of different regulations of how product could be installed in terms of insulation, covering downlights, because we're still in that. We're still working with the builders at the time. Yeah. So there was this sort of year plus two year transition. What, what we wanted to become as a business, I was working with an, a couple of other lighting companies. Uh, developing their led products so consultancy basically yeah um which was good in a way that i could understand on a national scale what where the market was going and and to be honest the end result was it was getting more fierce Mm. in the commodity style and the whole business scape was changing things were converting from bricks and mortar shops to online yeah that had a huge impact to the lighting retail industry Mm -hmm. Uh, you know you're the largest uh, hardware chain in Australia has become one of the biggest lighting suppliers mm. in Australia. Yeah. Uh, they they expanded massively. Um, they had that competition. So this is Bunnings, obviously, yeah. when Masters popped up, Masters yeah. designed this huge uh, lighting section of the store. Bunnings caught whiff of that, expanded that, and that that really hurt a lot of the eastern state lighting stores, except for Beacon. Beacon have just dominated because yeah. they own that platform. Um. Velo was born as a brand, um, and I started building on the brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, our company. Give me the give me the meaning of Velo. What's the? Where does the name come from? <laughs> so we went through a design phase uh, with a local branding expert. Um, if you wind it back, Infinity. There was an issue with a company not associated with us called the Infinity Cable Company. It was okay. burning down all those homes in Victoria. Uh, okay. <laughs> so. So that move away from that. We had to move away from that brand, and you get to a point where we just wanted to focus on products. So we engaged with a branding expert, and it had to be the brief was it had to be easy to read, you know, less than you know five letters or less, preferably, yep. and the logo had to look nice on sport kit. Yeah, it had to be legible. A lot of it is a nice looking logo. Yeah, it works right. That's because we designed it in the end. Yeah. So we we you know we took a typography and, and tweaked it and it works really nice. And it wasn't until we started our expansion plans to bring manufacturing back where we actually realized Velo meant light in Finnish. Okay. So we're talking with a Finnish manufacturer and he starts talking Finnish you know, to me and I'm like, what are you talking about? And uh, he said, uh, you, you're Finnish? And I said, no. <laughs> and he goes, oh, Velo means light. I said, oh, well, we, we fluked that one yeah, because wow. uh, the word just looked good. Um, and so the marketing team didn't know that. When we went through our initial brief, I was the one that selected the name. I just liked good it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Then it grows. How, what, tell me, how does it grow? How does it grow from there? How does it uh, start taking off and you you, know, you end up at Kent Town? And, 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 what, and what's the purpose of, of the business today? So we were importing product predominantly out of Korea 
Um, as we as we really transitioned to a sports lighting company or high performance lighting company is what we brand ourselves today. Yep. We we're importing product out of Korea. We found prices were increasing. They were going to invest in other Southeast Asian countries for manufacturing, not in China. So there was major disruption on the horizon there. We weren't enjoying importing product and selling and holding all these product lines. We had something like 14,000 SKUs within our inventory management system. Um, it's a nightmare. So this was about 2018. We, I said our our Mission, my dad always said to me, whatever you do, you want to get to a point where you can do it here. Mm. If, you're, if you're importing product, manufacture the product here. You know, and years, years go by, you, get, you go to these amazing factories and you think, nah, you know, it's too hard. You know, Holden's closing, Ford yeah. shut, you know, labor prices, energy prices here in Australia. You know, we're, we're combating for clients the energy prices. How can we run a factory like this? But it takes a holistic approach. Um, and some property developers that are here in South Australia do this now really well with a 50-year vision. You have to have that. So we were out uh, in northern suburbs in a warehouse. We decided to move out of that, get city, get into the city fringe. Uh, ironically, we're on King William Street, which is where I started my first lighting business. Yep. We're back um, almost 10 years later. Yeah. Same and location? Or? Different location, different. but it's not too far yeah. up the road really. And uh, during COVID, so we're working out of an office in Norwood. Uh, we needed to find what our new home was going to be. And uh, this building was on the market. It's been on the market a little while. And I rolled the dice. We bought it during COVID. I mean, we still technically couldn't even visit it as, yeah. as a group. But yeah. we, we went under contract. We bought it. And we, we redeveloped it uh, with the vision to bring manufacturing back. Uh, we've invested over $8 million dollars. Now in, in in the facility in R and D and our manufacturing equipment in into the building for what it is now. So we've got a an automated SMT, which is surface mount technology pick and place machine uh, line. So our LED boards um, in the near future will be all fully made here in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And then we've part got, sourced and then made still here. yes, we have to. We're sourcing everything that we can out of South Australia or Australia that is still here yep. as an industry, we're, we're getting out of here. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, with the demise of industry over the last 50 years, some industry, heavy industry, is, is no longer here. So we have to import that. Mm. But we are looking at advanced ways of manufacturing those components mm, yeah, and all the core value of the manufacturing, the assembly of the product is done here in Adelaide. Mm. So that's what we're doing now. Where does the eight million dollar investment come from? And it, it, was the business doing that well where you could uh, uh, invest your own cash, or did you seek it? Did you borrow it? Did you get government grants from a manufacturing? Like, where does that? Where does that? Everything. Yeah, okay. it's all of the above. Yeah, okay. Um, really hard years. I borrowed a lot from my parents. They've, they've been my biggest backers. When you get lending from family, mm-hmm. it. That's when you're all in, yeah. And you you have to be all in emotionally, Other physically, hard earned, everything. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Especially your own family, you want to make sure you pay that back. Yeah, we had a number of good years. We rolled all the profits in. Well, we bought our building. Uh, we know what's happened with with real estate prices. Yeah. So we were smart. You know, some will say you fluked it, but I think we were strategic with our investments in properties. So 
And that sort of underpins, I guess, the group of companies. Mm. Um, you know, we're investing in three different areas, but we're underpinned by property with everything that we do. Yeah. So we can leverage that. You can bank that. Mm. You know, we're bankable as a business. Yeah. Um, only now we've taken on corporate facilities. Um, but that's where it all came from. You know, people see the the tip of an iceberg. Yeah. And I, I said it at a luncheon the other day when I had to talk. You don't see everything that's underneath. Yeah. You know? I, I ate pasta and beans, baked beans. Like, yeah. And there were weeks where our fridge was depleted. Yeah. Too many noodles and all Yeah, 100%. That. Everything's going into well, it's the business. The, it's the typical duck scenario. You know, on the on the surface, the duck looks like it's uh, yep. floating yeah, exactly. beautifully, but underneath, it's uh, the legs are going a bit Kicking everywhere. frantically. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So well done. So you've got so you're on what so Valo now, what what is the purpose? What's your core reason for doing what you're doing? Is it still sporting? I mean you said high performance. Why are you so attracted to that and, and why is it uh, why is it continually improving and growing? Mm. So it's an interesting one because yeah, it, it changes all the time. But I guess our our mission is to assist venues and clubs mm. to transition to carbon neutral mm-hmm. through reducing their energy consumption consumption, and increasing experience. We sell experience. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. We don't sell lights. We sell in sports. Yep. We sell experience. So better lit facilities using Australian-made product, high-quality, 10-year warranty, no maintenance because we've got drones coming online yeah. in the near future for maintenance. We we are producing in our carbon neutral facility and our culture is king. So, you know, we, we touch on staff. That's our greatest asset. We've mm. grown from one-man band to, to two, um, grew into four with 15, should be 20 in the next six weeks, 60 by the end of the year, and that will keep growing here in South Australia. Brilliant. So that's that's really who we are. Where are there? Where is all the main contract? Like, is it is it global now? Like, what, what's what's happening with the, the sales? Where where are they all coming from? And, and do mm. you just sell them the product and they go and install it themselves? Or what's Mo- the- a lot of our conversations happened three years ago. They started yeah. three years ago. They take that long. Yeah. So we're halfway through um, our Norwood Oval with mm. the Norwood Football Club mm. project. So we've just delivered 300 lineal meters of LED screens around the perimeter of the oval in their transition to go carbon neutral. Yep. Um, over the coming weeks uh, or months, weather dependent, we are uh, replacing all their light fittings on their towers and solar generation, energy storage. So we're transitioning, helping them to transition to carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. But what it means for them as a club, and this is where we get involved, we don't just sell product, we, we it's a real partnership and it's very in-depth with the client or the venue. But we have an understanding that Norwood, everyone sees them as, say, the Red Legs, right? Mm-hmm. It's SANFL. But the venue is much more than that. It's women's AFL. Mm-hmm. So AFLW Grand Final, I believe, is being held there. Um, it's JLT round, if it's still called that, AFL preseason. Mm-hmm. So they can host a number of games there. Yeah. And traditionally, these community venues aren't adequate enough for AFL standards. Mm-hmm. So by transforming their signage, which they used to throw out every year to all digital, and LEDs powering the whole venue or lighting up the whole venue, 
we can now fluctuate the lighting performance on the field from you know juniors for training all the way through to uh, AFL preseason standards, mm-hmm. which is what the AFL wants. So the club's invested in that, which now becomes a revenue generating stream for them as well. Um, you have to take that whole approach. So it is, it's a complicated one. Mm. We've mastered that now um, and we're rolling it out to other very large clubs and large facilities. I guess one of our core action points is we always back local and back community, whether yeah. it's Sports SA right through to the obviously the Tier 1 clubs, yeah. Football Federation, South Australia, etc. cetera. Um, we've done a, a large partnership agreement with the Hawthorne Football Club. That's our expansion into Victoria. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of conversations are happening around Australia, um, but our eyes by the end of the year are within the US. Yeah, so well. we are focused globally. Yeah, wow. So are you are you going out from your product point of view? Are you going out and there's these companies, football clubs and communities and that they're they're buying product and you're providing the the goods and services for the sponsorship or how how does it work? Like for someone who's looking to grow their company, mm. what's your model? How do you how do you do it or you, that's, you're not willing to elaborate on that? <laughs> oh, look, you need – clubs need sp- partners yeah. to run. Yeah. Otherwise, they don't survive. We know that. Yeah. Good partners for us help us network and get our brand out there. Yeah. You know, we're the new kids on the block. We're the disruptors, mm. right? A lot of naysayers out there. Mm. Always has been. There's always going to be and that's fine. I invite you to come see what we're actually doing mm. um, because we are the ones doing it here in South Australia. In Australia, we're bringing the manufacturing back and we're employing people here and there's a huge network of contract manufacturers that are supported by us. So the proof's there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we're competing against competition that work with importers mm. and their products made offshore and whatnot. Um so for us, brand recognition within the sporting industry is big. Mm-hmm. It's one of Arnie's rules of success. You have to give something back. Yeah. So we don't like using the word sponsorship. We use the word partnership because it's more than a monetary transaction. Yeah. So we can deliver a better result for the long term in terms of infrastructure, say for for lighting. But this, you know, this commitment from us to also back the club. Um, we like going to games and whatnot. Yeah, Daniel. So it's nice and easy. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'll expect an invite. <laughs> it's open invite for you, mate. <laughs> what? But where does the funding come from? All this stuff. Like, if you're going out and providing this, and yeah, you get some great sponsorship. How does how does the business keep growing? And how does it how does it grow into other markets? If mm. like, is there an exchange of goods and services that you pay us and we put this in? Like, how does it? What's the oh, yeah, mo- what's course. the mo- yeah yeah? At the end of the day, we know we're charitable. We're not yeah. a charity. Yeah, that's what I'm um, saying. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Um, but you know, our marketing, we've got a very aggressive marketing strategy. Yeah. Not just here in South Australia and Australia, but yeah. but internationally. So it's- we are working in the US. I've got some big plans for the US. Um, y- you have to, you have to get your brand visible. Otherwise, mm. it's very hard. To to sell. So yeah. there's a lot of eyes on us now and, and we're known, especially in Adelaide, which is great. Um, but it's a slow it's a slow burn process and you have to be willing to invest time and look at that long-term strategy and planning. And, yeah. and, but you've got to have the backing. So we're fortunate enough that 
you know, we bought our, we own our facility, we own our equipment, we own everything in it, you know, we're not heavily geared with debt. Um, We are now backed by um, ANZ, Emerging Corporate, which is fantastic. So obviously Brendan Rinaldi's been on the podcast and he's, he's been amazing that they've, they understand our vision and they're backing us for the growth. So that's now. So, oh, so now we can take this model internationally. We've we've got the the backing to do. Well that. done. Mm. It, yeah, when you talk about brand recognition, it helps when you've got the likes of Sam Mitchell from the Hawthorne Football Club on TV, and he's got this nice little velo running down his arm. Glad like, you on, noticed on, on both sides. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it looks really good. Like it actually looks really good. Yeah, and it's. We don't just dive into something because our brand looks good. Mm. It has to be alignment with the club. So mm. Adelaide United, Adelaide Football Club, all the way through to community because not yeah. just the big ticket ones. And look, Hawthorne's doing it really well. There's multiple opportunities for us, not just in Victoria but in Tasmania. So it was a logical step. Yep. Um, we're working with a, a New South Wales-based AFL club um, potentially and what they may look like. Um, there has to be opportunity for while we go in, but it should also be highly beneficial for them to brand with us, and yeah. and we're seeing that now. What uh, what are some of the, you know, you've been through a lot with the ups and downs. You know, you've there's been some hard times in there, especially through COVID and all the above. The learnings that you've uh, you've sort of an experience that you've gained across your time in the past, especially in the past couple of years, what are some of the most, what are some of the things that pop out in your head that you go, who I'm glad I got through that and anyone else that's going through those sort of things I can help you with. So what are some of those experiences on the downs (laughs) that you learn along the way? I think every business founder and CEO, if they're still in that position, I think their greatest skill set would have to be resilience and I think I've developed that now. There are a lot of times where there's a lot of external pressures, mm. um, whether it's funding or shipping, especially now. Like it's, it's 10 times worse now than it was three yeah. years ago. Um, you just need to get on with it. Yeah. And we do training now and I've been told I have naturally developed this and it's with Michelle Stanton. It's called zone culture training. Mm-hmm. So you're either in the zone or you're in the zoo. Mm-hmm. Most people and all the naysayers are always in the zoo. They're the negative ones, mm. frustrated, they're angry, they're depressed. It's always someone else's fault. If you're in the zone, the high flyers, the Elon Musks in the world, always in the zone, everything's always good. If you naturally can develop that, that's when resilience mm. comes into play. And to be honest, you have to look at some of those challenging points as opportunity. Mm. And when you do that, everything else falls into place. And that's when everyone else says, wow, look at what you've done and all the rest of it. And I I bring that analogy back of the iceberg. Yeah. Well, well, there's a saying that I like to say, it takes seven years to become an overnight success, right? Like there's this pain. I think we're about that. Yeah. (laughs) And and hardship. Yeah. um, you know, even from my own experience running a business, it's hard. It's because you're not only dealing with external pressures, but then in, 
internal pressures and then obviously you've got a young family as well, mm. right? Yep. So you, you throw in kids and, and wife and family into the mix of it and trying to maintain both worlds whilst trying to realize your vision. I mean, how do you manage that element of it all as well? Like how do you manage both family and business and this growth scale that you want to? Uh, oh, look, it, yeah, it comes down your team, and it's not just your team at work, it's your team at home. So it's yeah. my incredible wife and she looks after, you know, the 18-month-old the at the moment yeah. who's a tornado. What's her names? Shout out. Maxine. Maxine. And my little boy, Ari. Ari. Excellent. And um, being able to go home and to enjoy the family life is what keeps you motivated. Um, she's been incredible, an incredible support for me over the years through all the, the hard times. Many times we think, I'm just going to give up, you know. Mm. You hear the little voices, might be little rumors within your family saying, oh, why don't you just go get a job or do this? But <laughs> if you stay true to the to the mission yeah. um, and you get there, yeah. You know, so told you so. How do you put how did you push through the time where, you know, knowing a little bit about you, your back was up against the wall, you know, a few times. Mm. How do, how do you overcome the thought process? Well, I need to feed my family here. Like this is this is critical. And how do you keep pushing through that? How do you do that? Mm. I think you just don't have a choice. Mm. You have to visualize where you're going, stay true, um, always have the belief. And, you know, we got there. You know, nothing's – it's never going to be easy. If it's easy, everybody will do it. Mm. Um, but you need to surround yourself with positive people that can also support you and back you in. And it might just be the little coffee meeting or the little phone chat and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and networks especially. So, you know, our door is always open and I'm, I'm big for that. Mm. Um, Friday drink, that's why I'm in casuals today. Yeah. Daniel, sorry. Um, Let me sorry. Anyone's welcome, you know, to value it. And you can talk, you can, you know, if entrepreneurs want to, or startup people or people with an idea just want to talk yeah. and maybe chat to our engineers or have a play on our equipment or they've, you know, we're, we're open for that. Yeah. And there are a lot of closed doors back in the day, but the ones that were open are still in my network today and, and are big advocates for me and, and the business and what we're doing. So, yeah, you just, you know, if young guys are going through this or young, young women are going through this, you just have to surround yourself with that and you just have to go for it, mm. you know. Failure is not an option. Yeah. And I think that's when that's when your best decisions can be made as well. Mm. And that's when you learn the most. You yeah. have to be in the pressure cooker at some point. Uh, I think I was fortunate. I look back now, I think I was fortunate enough in the younger years because we were able to COVID was COVID was terrible for a lot of companies, terrible for a lot of businesses. But for us, I think we were able to navigate through that quite well. And we set ourselves up for now what we are. So the end result, what you're seeing now is through all those years of, you know, some years of pain yeah. and some years of hard work and then COVID and all those challenges, yeah. we're now seeing the end result of what's now deemed that's been a good plan. Mm. Yeah. You use the word visualize in one of your descriptions then. Yeah. You know, visualize where you want to be. Yeah. What does that look like for you? What does your, what does your future look like? And, you know, if you were to... Talk about experience and, you know, obviously the bring in low carbon neutral, which is like an amazing mm. like uh, path that you're on from a mission point of view. But 
I really I want to experience. I want to learn a bit bit more about experience. What does that look like? Mm. Uh, what are you trying to land on? What does done look like for Velo? I don't know. And and you know this is what every investor wants to know. They want to know where your exit plan is. Mm. But you know, because you're talking fifty years, right? I mean, yeah, how, sure. how, do you, how, do you, how do you have an exit plan if you're thinking in a fifty year time frame? Well, it's a, I'd rather a legacy than an exit. Yeah. So so wind back a few years and I went with NVI, Matt Salia. Yeah. To the US. NBI, so, so New Venture. New Venture Institute at Flinders at Tonsley, yeah. Innovation Precinct. I started getting involved with that precinct and one of my business mentors, Daniel Smith, who's now CSIRO. Shout out, Dan. Um, when there was just the quickie mart there mm-hmm. and there's big vision, nothing really there. NVI was there, Flinders were there. Uh, invited to go over uh, to Silicon Valley. Um, I think seven or eight of us. And um, we got to hear from VCs and Aussies that are kicking goals over there, startups. Yep. Um, and hear how the real world works, right? Because we're from Adelaide. So this is why I thought it was really hard to come with this podcast because we were told back then Aussies talk too much. We waffle. You've got to cut your, your, you know, spit it out. You've got 30 seconds to pitch. Yeah. That's how you should sum up your entire story yep. and then you're on the hook. And that's why some people think Americans are quite arrogant because they're super confident because you've only got that 30 seconds yeah. to pitch. You've got 300 million that's people it. trying to sell to you, right? Yeah, so that's right. Different. And we met some amazing venture capitalists, investors into Dropbox and all these different types of things and go around the table and everyone's saying what they're doing and, and whatever and it comes to me. And there was one guy and he mentioned that, you know, anyone can sell lights. That was his take on it. But, and this has always stuck with me and I, and I say it to everybody, that you need to find your Elon Musk moment. And, of course, everyone's like, oh, what's that? Tell us the secret to that. And um, yeah, find your Elon Musk moment is find the platform. If you own the platform, it doesn't matter what you're doing, your business will take off. And he goes, that's all I'm going to say. So a bit open-ended <laughs> question, you know, yeah. answer. Um, yeah. I then met with another Australian running a successful uh, business um, in renewable projects um, down in Santa Ana because I split from the group and then I flew over to New York and met with a, an investor who has, has an amazing story, also starting out in potentially optometry, ended up financing one of the largest uh, corporate refinance deals with Chrysler Group and he sold the Tiffany building when he wasn't a real estate agent. So I could dive more into his story. It was amazing. But I met with these amazing people, right? And then I, I went to Europe. I toured all the, all the amazing factories in Europe, in Germany particular, Arberg. Big thing for Arberg is the founder of the company still works in the factory every day. Yeah, wow. His lunch joins them and the entire team eat together every week. It's two euros because in Germany nothing's free. You have to pay for something even though the meal is probably worth 40 euros. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, this is incredible. This factory is surrounded by glass in the Black Forest. The team eats together every day. Everyone seems happy. It's This is not what I've seen in Australia. Yeah. Very different to the, the grind, the real hustle in the United States, especially in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So how can I bring that back to Australia? And I guess that's where we've now got to now. So what does own the platform mean? Well, it's owning the prop, the land, the bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. everything in in the building, and then owning the platform when, when we're delivering our projects. So that's where we, we've got to now, I believe, with Velo and you know, come back to what the exit strategy is or whatever. My number one rule is we have to have fun doing what we're doing. So 
I go to the office on a Monday, I'm not working. We're just enjoying. So, yeah, you know, we're on, on board the ride and, you know, we want to leave a legacy in Adelaide, in South Australia, you know. Yeah. We're here for the long haul and we're setting up our new facility, which is six times bigger than where we are now. So more on that, you know, we'll come over the few yeah. months as we launch. But, um, yeah, and as we double and quadruple down our team, basically is what we're doing in terms of numbers. So there isn't an exit strategy. When we talk about what it's done look yeah. like, I mean, is it a world full of like, is it stadiums across the world full of Velo gear, and and, and yeah. will that progress to more than just lighting? Like, is there, you know, you you've mentioned Elon a few times. You and I have spoken about him. We're both big fans, and he's changing the world. You know, his ultimate vision is to spread the human race across multiple like planets and you know mm. so you know if earth was ever taken out where the civilization still survives and we can keep growing and it, and he's doing that through tesla with electrical you know solar city and yep. uh spacex and the boring company is coming up with all these different technologies i've got no idea what twitter's got to do with any of it <laughs> but what what's your vision i mean you, you've got this lighting thing you've got a few other things going on the go and are you looking into the drone stuff now and yep yeah, so we're investing in drones to obviously – well, the drones are heavy payload drones. They're 2.6 metres diameter. Uh, we'll be the only ones in South Australia and potentially in Australia uh, with licensing to actually fly these. They're, they're virtually helicopters yeah. and that's to maintain the lights, to to give the product more longevity and to meet the warranty standards. So, you know, how do you change a light bulb was always the, the classic saying. Well, yeah. how, do you, how do you clean a sports light on a 65-metre tower? Traditionally, when the light bulb blew, that's when you change the bulb, yeah. wipe it down, whatever. But now with the LEDs to make sure they last, you know, we, we offer a 10-year warranty but we want to push to 20. Yeah. How do we make the product last 20 years? And our our Gen 5 Zenith, wholly designed here in Adelaide by us, we're working with defence contractors to manufacture components of our product. Yeah. We, we've got a 20-year-plus life designed into the product. But when we put it out into quite harsh environments, which we're working on at the moment, a bit more rural, almost like the moon, yeah. um, you know, you've got extreme wind, sand potentially, dust, um, yeah, all of that. So they need it's a maintenance schedule. So, yeah. you know, you have a shower, you wash your car, well, it's the same with yeah. lights. You need to maintain the lights yeah. and then you get that longevity out of it. But... Yeah, we believe the the best cost-effective, most efficient way is in the drones. Yeah. But now the drones is opening us up to other, other opportunities. areas, other opportunities as well. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, the group of companies, Valo's obviously one. It's technology, manufacturing. We're in agriculture, viticulture, and underpinned by property. So that's what the group is involved in so Velo will very much be a lighting company I don't know if the brand will turn into something else as we invest and grow into the United States and into Europe and whatnot it may very well if Elon Musk wants to light up Mars then he can give me a call (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there's other industries that we are investing in I think our big mission is to grow job employment here and to keep jobs here for yep. the future you know my kids you know everyone's talking about housing prices and and all of that but what about you know career progression yeah um one of our recent um recruits has, has moved from sydney to adelaide so 
you know, there has always been this saying of the brain drain and I think it's going to take private enterprise, working with government, but really it's, it's up to private business to actually fix this Yeah, and to have something attractive that people actually want to come back to, something very innovative, that is also thinking global as well, I think, yeah. and that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Are you the CEO of the group of companies or is there – how does that work? Yeah, I'm not quite techno king like uh, Elon Musk is yeah. of his his title. But uh, yeah, at the moment, very much, we're building out teams in all the different areas. You need to build your good team around you. It's very specialized in all those other key areas. Yeah. But at the moment, yeah, I'm the vision. I what do you, how do you, how do you, like, how do you manage all of that at once, right? And, and do you seek help? Do you get coaching? Do you? Have an advisory board, like a board. Like yeah, what, we what are setting it? up an advisory board around for Valo yeah. specifically. Um, I've got a very good exec team: Penelope and Sam, COO and CCO. Gary Olson's been an executive advisor of mine for many, many years. You just need to build the team around you, mm. and you really need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Mm. Any business owner needs to really work that out quickly. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. Like I am not good at organizing things. Yeah, or having a super organized whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed that with trying to get in contact. With well, you only told me about you only told me about this this morning, Daniel. Like, come on. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm I know what my skill set is, and that way I can cover off a lot of these ventures. And a lot of them, they're they're pie in the sky. We call it the Aaron Hickman universe. And Dino Vrinios, uh, Just Studio, he's my gravity. He is uh, leading, obviously, uh, the design and development of whether it's property through to. Uh, fit out factory expansion, yep. viticulture expansion, yep. all of that. So, yeah, you just you naturally will and slowly, progressively will build that team. And once you've got that, you can take on more without being detrimental to to the other. Yeah, that's amazing. What is um, I mean, where to from here though? Like when when you talk about growing these businesses, where where do you place your time? mostly which business are you concentrating on at the forefront like which one do you think will be the catalyst is it Valo or is it some of these other ones that you're looking in the background what 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 does it look like um and and you know how much is too much as well right you know we're often told to focus on one and it seems like you're you are spreading out are you concerned of spreading yourself too thin oh there's always concerns everyone will always tell you what to do Mm. that's why you don't do it right yeah. that's why you do it your way anything can get to that point but i think valo's valo is my baby mm-hmm. and the, the majority of time is spent there because of the you know we're, we're talking the multi-million dollar projects mm-hmm. which we're engaged on and i'm engaged on personally they take a long time so you naturally and you're forced to be invested into that yeah for very very you know years on end just want to touch on the manufacturing mm. piece. Did you, um, you know, you talk about naysayers and, yeah, it's expensive to manufacture here in, in, in South Australia and Australia in general. How are you overcoming those hurdles? Yeah, so yeah, everyone told me not to invest in, in certain equipment because there are capabilities here but if you want to be serious, we need to do it ourselves. Um you know, we've got some of the most expensive real estate, especially for commercial leasing, factory abilities or buildings that could be manufacturing, right? Mm. Aren't, aren't easy to come by, especially city fringe, very difficult. Um, 
most, you know, we started our journey to bring manufacturing back when we were hit with the most expensive power prices in the world. Mm. There was a good peak there and mm. South Australia's transitioned to very much renewable state and it's been in numerous times where Adelaide has operated off-grid, completely off-grid mm-hmm. period of time. So, yeah, we've, we've got an, an enormous solar system on our roof. We manufacture during the day at, at the moment and we're working towards storing that energy. Um, we've only had a power bill. Our biggest power bill for the quarter was like $1,000, mm. which is unheard of for, for a manufacturing yeah. facility. I'm sure that will grow as we grow, but um, you really have to control all of those aspects. So you have to own your building to be able to invest in the building, whereas yeah. if you're just leasing and whatnot, and a very short forecast, uh, especially by bean counters, they'll say that it's not viable. Mm. Yeah. And, it's, and it's true. But if you've got the luxury of a longer vision, 10, 20, 50-year vision, uh, and you believe that what you're doing here is better, then you can. And, you know, I think over the, the coming months and years we'll, we'll have automation come into play and advanced manufacturing of materials uh, in-house, hopefully, um, that will see us even more cost competitive with Southeast Asia. Mm. So we've got a cost competitive product if we compare ourselves to the imported product, which we believe we're better. But now we have even more opportunity with our export potential. So it works. Yeah. Not for everyone, not for every product, but for high performance, high quality and yeah. high dollar value product. Australia, yeah, we can your, make it happen here for sure. Market. Yep. There's a statistic around that saying that 17 years is the average lifespan of a business and you're, you're thinking 20, 30, 50 years. How, how, how do you wrap your mindset around that, thinking that far ahead? I'd I mean, be happy with 17 uh, years because yeah. I've been 40 retired so <laughs> that'd be a good, good number and be on a yacht somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it's you, you're in business as long as you want to be in business. I don't think you can necessarily put a time frame. I think Velo's journey, it needs to be a 20, 30, 50-year plan yeah. because it's deserving of that. It's in an industry that is continuously growing. And even LED products will get to the end of life cycle and they need to be replaced. Mm. So it's not like we're only ever going to sell the product once. We'll visit the customer back in 10 or 20 years' time. Um, it's enjoyable. It's always evolving. Mm. So it's exciting. Um, yeah. I'd be bought, yeah, with a with a seventeen year exit. <laughs> well, I think that, I think I, I should clarify. I mean, seventeen years on the businesses average. that have earned over a certain amount, you know, and grown to a certain size, not not just a little one person band. Yep. Um, just conscious of your time and uh, know that you've got to uh, shoot off uh, and um, do some uh, some other things that yeah <laughs> uh, that you've got planned for the day. I will we'll start wrapping up the the podcast. Um, Really interested in what the future looks like for you. Mm. Where, you know, you've achieved so much in your early part of this career as um, as Velo and, you know, the, the group of businesses that you, you run, 40 under 40, like your name's popping up in the advertiser, like there's a fair bit going on, like the news is getting hold of uh, obviously name and, and brand popping up everywhere which is really great what what is what is the what is your life in business and uh well in general look like moving forward what do you want out of all this uh, what do i want the the underlying 
drive has always been to prove to the naysayers that we can do it. Yeah. And it really is leaving a legacy, whether that is the company or the brand, the mm. product out there. It's a good question. And I think it's the hardest to answer because business is fulfilling. Mm. So there isn't a financial aspect that I'm driving to. It's more so if we can achieve and leave our mark, change the you know, the way of life, I guess, yeah. through our technology yeah. and and if we can employ people and and contribute to society doing everything that we do then then that's a good feeling and that's mm. obviously where we're going and that's where we want to go um probably don't have that answer yeah just yet where i where i see it for you personally for me yeah. personally the, you, you touched on quickly and i'm just going to digress a little you touched quickly mm. on culture within the business and yep. i've come to the office down there yeah. at Town and king william and um you know there's pinball machines and you know it's a like it is when you describe before Silicon Valley, and you mm. know, it is, you have a, a really good feel. What is your employment employee value prop? Is that something that you concentrate on quite heavily? I yeah, mean, so you're I giving guess... away Teslas and stuff as well. Is that is <laughs> not that, quite not that, quite giveaway? Where, but... where do I line up for one of those? <laughs> do twelve months with us if you, if you pass. <laughs> is that then, uh... is that what it is? So twelve months and there's oh, there's numerous things, but um, yeah, look, yeah, um. Our mission is aligned to Tesla's, I guess, uh, progressing the human world to carbon neutrality. Yeah. I guess we, that's what we want for our clients with venues and it's the same with our transport but it's a reward for staff as well. So Velo is, you know, our values are V, value your teammates like family. Yeah. A is all in and execute. L, lead with courage. And O is open to collaborate. And any company can just say blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. These are our values. But our values have come about after actually doing it. Mm -hmm. And we've built that culture, very family focused. Um, you, know, we've, you have to see it. You can only say we've got a good culture when the culture is actually the one telling you you've got a good culture. Yeah. You can't just say this is our values and this is what we do. Yeah. Um, that's good. I, we are a business that works with companies on their culture, right? We, well, maybe you can take it next level for us. Oh, I'm more than happy to help you out <laughs> there. And I think that's the uh, one thing that's really important. I think in the growth trajectory of any business is a and in in, in today's day and age, employee value prop uh, is extremely um, crucial to to seeing the growth. Uh, maintaining talent, right? I think about the yeah, workforce 100%. shortage yeah. at the moment. And, you know, there's this money, there's money getting thrown around left, right and centre from a hiring point of view. You know, you hear stories of people getting poached for 50, 60, 100 grand more than what they were on at their previous roles. So when you when you got numbers like that, it's pretty hard to keep people. But when, you know, you're talking 10, 15 grand here and there, Employee value proposition and what you guys are offering, um, you know, the great culture, that's really important, right? That's really important. It might not be the money that's important. It's about being part of a community, being part of a vision that's actually going somewhere and providing experience and doing things for uh, yeah, for the community and for the world, really. I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely, and that's what we're you know we're we're developing our our new facility at the moment. Like I said, you know, six times bigger than than Canton at the moment, and we're really taking that next level. It'll be a mix of high end South California vibe, Willy Wonka factory. I'll you know that's to give you a bit of a vision of what we're doing. Yeah. But it's all around staff. You know, we'll have you know, we're family orientated. We've got kid friendly zones. So yeah. if if parents need their kids to come in, yeah, you know, after school or things like that, like we're, you know, we're all for that, and it's. I guess what's led to that is seeing how different cultures around the world do it, taking the bits of the, the best, yeah. but also understanding that I didn't have that at any of my previous roles when I was employed mm. and I don't want that. Mm. So when people come in and, and see, you know, there's we have contractors that come in that love working because they feel like they're part of the team. Yeah. You know, we do lunches once a fortnight and once a month and they'll come in we'll yeah, all those little things are really, really well, important. It's funny. I was saying to Gabriella this morning that when I came in, I yep. was offered sparkling water. Like, do you know what I mean? Just something so small. Well, there was a list of drinks actually, isn't there? Yeah, there there's is. Water, <laughs> there's water. Well, I think it was a couple of beers on there as well. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah, we yeah we try and support all the um, local. local uh, everything's local produce. But you talk so. about one percenters. As someone that's walked into that office, for you know, the first time I've walked in there, you know, you and I are catching up. And I'm getting offered beer or wine or sparkling water. I mean, not that that's a, it's a, it's not a, a huge thing that's going to win everyone over, but it's those little one percenters. No one's taking the beer, by the way, like the, for a Wednesday morning yeah, meeting. No, I can no one actually has opted for I, the I alcoholic. I but it is on the menu for Friday afternoons yeah. if you come in. But yeah. but we're, we're transparent. It's you know, it's also why when you come in and you sit in the waiting area, you're immersed in the factory, right? Yeah. Like you're looking at everything behind glass. Yeah. All of that comes together and, um, yeah, like the little shine drinks yeah. that we do. So yeah. shout out to the shine guys. We've got multiple people hooked on those, yeah. multiple um, architecture offices and whatnot now, yeah. now all supporting that. But, Beautiful. yeah, it is all those one percenters, yeah, 100%. I love it. Righto, again, conscious of your time, we're going to jump into some quick fire questions uh, just to round off. Do you – are you a big reader? We're big readers here. Do you read lots? Do you consume knowledge? Do you – do you go to learn? Like how, how do you learn in regards to from a business point of view? I read a lot of whether it's forum, I listen to business, you know, like Mark Boris yeah, podcast, podcast and, yeah. and all of that type of stuff. I don't read fiction books. In yeah. year three, it took me, year three or four, it took me all year to read Matilda, so I was definitely yeah. <laughs> not into the fiction novels. Yeah, <laughs> so you're into the non-fiction stuff. You read strategy books, leadership books. Yeah, all of that. A lot of it's around things that we're doing, so I'll start researching. One of the hardest things I struggle with is switching off the brain from turning things into a business concept or trying to understand it from a business side of things. Yeah. It drives my wife nuts. Yeah. But when you do that, that's, that's where all these other ideas come to yeah. fruition or, and opportunities. So. I read a lot online and digitally. Yeah, like that, Any, sure. anything that sort of stuck out with you in in the years that you've just gone. Actually, this is the article, or this is the book, or this is the the, the podcast, or whatever it may that I turn to religiously. Uh, book wise, it would be Dieter Ram's books. Less is more. Yeah, Dieter Ram's hands down the best industrial designer ever to walk this earth. Yeah, um, he designed all the brawn. Mm-hmm product yep. in the early years. So our Apple products are all copied off of Dieter Ram's oh, wow. original devices and his philosophy. So if you can take that that approach with product and marketing and design and all of that, that's how you excel. Yeah, brilliant. Yep. Dieter Ram, less is more. Yep. Love it. 
What's one lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Tough one. It is. It'd have to be probably, I don't know, it'd be when to walk away from something. Or yeah. something you know, because when you've got a problem-solving mind, you, you want to fix it, right? Yeah. Or you want to resolve something. But, yeah, that was that was hard. If that is the lesson, that was hard earlier on. But um, I think yes. from an entrepreneurship mindship, mindset, sorry, it is uh, there is this element of, you know, the story of you know and perfect to your scenario of a light bulb thomas mm. edison's 10,000 you know it t- took me 10,000 uh, I learned 10,000 different ways to not make a light bulb when to not stop and when to walk away from something yeah it is it would be a tough yeah thing. he never failed he just worked out 10 ways how it would work yeah, exactly yeah and you have to take that attitude, philosophy attitude yeah. for sure yeah yeah until it becomes like not beneficial for anyone. Or well, anything. if you're going to stand on top of the building thinking you're going to fly, I mean, yeah. there's commercial reality, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. Practically. You won't get 10,000 shots at it Exactly. If you had three people that you could invite for dinner, yep. I'm going to assume Maxine is there. There's a th- okay. three people that you could invite to dinner. Past, would, they have to be living. Nah, you, whoever you want. Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Thomas Edison. Yeah, nice. Not Dita Ram. <laughs> I really know the Dita Ramsey style. So. Oh, there. Excellent. Yeah. Thomas Edison, Elon Musk, and who was the other one? Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Brilliant. So what's some of the best advice that you've ever received? There's been lots of advice over the years, but I think the best advice or the best, yeah, the best advice you can follow or what I've found was Arnold Schwarzenegger's five rules for success. What are they? <laughs> you knew I was going to answer that. Yeah, that good thing I memorized this on the way in. Number one, trust yourself. Number two, break some rules. Number three is don't be afraid to fail. Number four, ignore the naysayers. It's actually six rules actually. Five is work like hell. And the last one, which we've mentioned throughout today, is give something back. Yeah. And I think that really underpins any entrepreneur and that is the journey and it's the hard road. It's yeah. it's all of those encompassing. And look at look at Arnie's journey. Yeah. Don't listen to naysayers. You know, this crazy Austrian wants to be bodybuilder and yeah. then he's going into making movies, but he can't speak English very well, but he's yeah. perfect for the role. And yeah. then politics. I mean, yeah, his journey is amazing. It is good. It resonates well. I love the book Total Recall. Mm. Um <laughs> No, as in his his autobiography, which is Total Recall, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the movie. Uh, <laughs> the give something back. I just want to just touch on that before we jump onto the next one. Like as an entrepreneur, that you, you're growing a business to give back when everything's hustle, like and everything is tight and money is like like and time is poor. Yep. What what is there to give sometimes? And how? What, just your advice. You've obviously done it yeah it can be when you're caught up so much in the hustle and the and the grind of the, of the day some of the most rewarding moments are your philanthropical moments mm. um ceo sleep out i'm doing yeah. that again so everybody okay. listening yeah donate i'll be expecting it absolutely they are little things we can do and if that elevates other platforms to help society and whatnot that's fantastic um, I went through the Say Yes on Young Entrepreneur Scheme quite early on. That's yep. where I met my first business mentor, um, you know, where open 
as a business and to me if anyone going through the program or anyone wants to come in and talk and pick brains and, and understand or learn about or hear my story about resilience yeah. and whatnot, that's part of giving back. As a company, we give back through partnerships, community, yeah. grassroots, all the way through to corporates, which then filters down. So all of that's very important. And it feels good. Yeah. You have to do it. We, we have to do it as corporates. There's a, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. Have you ever heard of that book? It's about, so it's essentially, it's, not read it. yeah. it's a story about uh, essentially money, right? And, mm. and, and the, the richest man in Babylon, but he structures it like his life about 10% of everything that he earns, he gives back. Yeah. Right. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a remarkable, and it doesn't necessarily need to be money, but it, you know, time, effort, mm. earnings, experience, whatever it might be. Yeah. It all definitely comes in. I love it. Uh, if you, this is a bit, bit of a quirky question. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go? <laughs> oh, there'd be so many, yeah. so many different moments. I'm a Port Adelaide fan, so it'd be back to. Uh, I'm a Geelong supporter, so this two, 2003. We'll so. be there in September, just <laughs> on the record. We'll be there versus Melbourne this year. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a really amazing photo I've got of Henry Ford. Thomas Edison and Firestone camping. Mm. There are so many of those ridiculous. Like you look at it now and you think, man, like those guys going camping. There's old Ford Model T or yeah. like, yeah, just really quick. to go. I don't know what the moment would be. Many t- many a times would would be to travel back with you know to see Elon Musk or yeah. something like that or Michael Jordan's last shot. I mean, that's from a sporting yeah, perspective. Yeah. yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> That's huge. I could do it. I could give you a hundred. Yeah, I love it. I love it. If your house was on fire, yep, family's safe, and you ha- and your pets were safe, what's the one item that you would run back and grab? It'd have to be a photo album. Hmm. Yep. Um, my wife for my first Father's Day made this really nice book full of little photos of me and Ari throughout those moments so that it'd be something along the lines yeah. of that but we've got a lot of that which i'm very thankful for yeah. so be something to that degree or yeah, i love for it. sure i love it if you had one superhero power what would it be fly fly yeah it's a typical answer isn't it well i can really see the future and <laughs> yeah, what we're yeah. going to do and whatnot so i've got that down <laughs> so yeah good answer sure. yeah fly would be good yeah teleportation just seems so much more efficient to me yeah, is, it, is it about the soaring or is it about getting yeah, somewhere? Yeah, the journey. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time Thanks, today, Daniel. man. And, and kudos to you and the team for everything you guys are doing. Obviously doing some amazing stuff. You have uh, some pretty amazing visions in place of what you want to achieve and uh, we're all going to be on the sidelines watching you uh, and, and hoping that you guys can take it on and bring manufacturing back, which is really exciting. Oh, cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank Thanks you. again. Where can we find you if we wanted to get in contact with you? Uh, LinkedIn, always active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Otherwise, you can hit us up on socials. That'll come through the marketing team or come see us, 47 King William Street, Kent Town. Pop in on a Friday, on a Friday preferably. Yeah. Um, walk in. Excellent. Grab a menu. You've seen it. So Aaron Hickman on LinkedIn and Valo, V-A-L-O on LinkedIn or valo.com.au. Yep. Beautiful. Cool. Easy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Daniel. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. 
I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.